Thank you for downloading this episode of the Mac Report Podcast. This episode is brought to you by our subscribers over at themacreport.com. Their support allows us to bring you our coverage of Merrimack Athletics. If you are a subscriber, I thank you. And if you're interested in becoming a subscriber and gaining access to all of our coverage, head on over to themacreport.com today and sign up. If you don't want to subscribe but still want to support us, please rate and review our podcast over on Apple Podcasts. Once again, thank you to our subscribers for making our coverage possible. And now, on to this week's episode. everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. Uh, we will have Scott Bohr coming up in just a couple of minutes to talk about the Providence game last weekend. Uh, and then, of course, the games against Yale and Brown coming up this weekend. The alumni game coming up this weekend as well. So a lot of people should be back on campus, even though the students won't be. Uh, but a couple of things I wanted to hit on before we get into into our interview uh, with Coach Bork for this week. One is, and these numbers I'm going to post later on, uh, probably on Friday. I may not do it tonight. I may do it Friday. But there's a way, and I, I'm doing this for every league, but I'm going to talk specifically about Hockey East here. Uh, there's a way to uh, essentially project the final standings. And the way we do that, or the way we can do that, is by using uh, the Cratch formula. And I, I kind of do this every year, um, the last, you know, two years ago was really difficult with COVID. You didn't know who was playing who on any particular week, and crash didn't really matter. Um, but we were able to do a little bit last year, and I just I never really dug into the numbers as much as I did this year. And basically, what I'm going to do, what I, what I've done, and what I'm going to continue to do every week is to put out a standings projection for the end of the year. Now, this could change week to week based upon how a team does on a particular weekend, but. There's a way to take the Cratch formula, and every team in that formula gets a rating, a numerical rating. And essentially, the way the Cratch rating system works is you can get a theoretical win percentage for every game that's being played between two teams. So, for again, to make the math simple here, let's say uh, Team A has a Cratch rating of 100, and Team B has a Cratch rating of 200. Well, you could theoretically say that uh, according to the Cratch rating, Team B with that Cratch rating of 200 would win a game two-thirds of the time because the total rating for those two teams is 300, 100 plus 200, and Team A, uh, Team B had the rating of 200, 200 divided by 300 is two-thirds. So uh, there's a way to take those numbers and come up with a theoretical winning percentage for a game played between any two teams. Now, it doesn't take into account home and road factors, which can sway things, as we know. Um, but there is a way to kind of look at strength of schedule the rest of the way combined with the number of games each team has the rest of the way, and you can come up with a way to project the standings. Uh, it, it comes up with just a projection, basically, based on on total numbers and things like that. Now, again, it's not perfect. It could change week to week based upon what other teams do. Like if Merrimack were to sweep a team in the weekend and they have more points now, their rating is going to tick up a little bit. If a team gets swept, their rating could tick down a little bit. But it takes into account games in hand because uh, I, I, as, I basically took the entire league schedule for the rest of the way and mapped it out for every team. And, and because we can do a theoretical winning percentage for every game played the rest of the way, assigned a win total for each team in each game. So, like, for instance, if Merrimack had a 
65% chance of, of beating an opponent in a particular game. Merrimack was awarded .65 wins for that game, and their opponent was awarded .35 wins. And then you go to the next game, and you can go to the next game, and you come up with a, a theoretical win number for their remaining games. And again, this is reflected upon how many games they have left. The fewer games you have left, the fewer opportunities you have to obtain more wins in the standings. Uh, But you can take that theoretical win number, multiply it by three, get a projected point total, add it to the existing point total, and then come up with a projected final standings. And I did that for Hockey East this week. And again, I'm going to publish it on the website and for subscribers, uh, and I will continue to publish it week after week. But we can give you a little bit of insight this week. And these this data will uh, continue to be published every week for subscribers uh, over on the website who've subscribed, who are paying subscribers to themacreport.com. But anyway, here's what the data tells us. Because Merrimack, if you remember, is tied currently with UConn for first place in Hockey East. They each have 27 points. But Merrimack has three games in hand. Now, what does that three games in hand look like combined with the strength of schedule? Is How does that project out? And if you run through game by game the rest of the year, right now, Merrimack is projected to finish a top Hockey East. Not only are they projected to finish a top Hockey East, they're projected to finish a top Hockey East by seven points. Merrimack, if you look at the crash rating and use that to simulate every game the rest of the way, Merrimack is projected for 56 points total in the league standings uh, with 9.68 wins remaining here in their final, I think they have 14 league games left. So roughly speaking, 9 to 10 wins over their last 14 games means we, that the Cratch would project that Merrimack goes somewhere between 9 and 5 and 10 and 4 the rest of the way in Hockey East. Now, that's based on previous data points that crash rating is based on results uh so if you if you are of the mind that hey maybe merrimack was playing a little over their head in the first half you wouldn't accept you would not expect them to keep up the same level of performance then you don't think they're going to perform as well as they did in the first half this this formula does not take into account anything like that all it does is take a look at the data that it has based on games that have already been completed and tries to project that out onto the games that still have to be played so i'll run it down real quick as of today, our projected final hockey standings at the end of the year are Merrimack in first place with 56 points, UConn in second place with 49 points. Now, you may look at that and say, well, how's Merrimack seven points ahead of UConn? They're tied in the standings right now with 27 points. Yes, but remember, Merrimack is three games in hand. That's the difference right there. Um, Boston University projected to finish in third place with 47 points. Providence projected to finish in fourth place with 46 points. Here's where it gets interesting. Fifth place, it projects right now a five-way tie between Boston College, UMass Lowell, and UMass, all with 40 points. Then there's a drop. Northeastern projected to finish in eighth with 32 points. Maine projected in ninth with 25 points. Vermont projected in uh, 10th with 13 points. And New Hampshire projected in the, the last place spot, number 11, with eight total points. New Hampshire currently has two points in the league so that's how the standings look right now and again i don't expect this to be the final stand i expect some of this to change um because it's hockey you know there's there's so many random events that, that occur over the course of a game it's impossible to say a team that has played as well as they have in the first half will absolutely definitely play that well in the second half uh it, it, that's not how it works you know the games have to be played for a reason injuries could happen there's home and road splits but this does take into account the 
games that still need to be played and the relative strength of the opponent in those games. It doesn't have it does, the, the formula does not have any idea if games are played on the road or at home, and that obviously is a factor. Uh, but it all it takes into account is okay. This team has this number of games left against these opponents, and these opponents have been X, Y, and Z good so far this year. And it tries to project out what that what those teams are going to do uh, the rest of the way. So it's again, it's it's interesting, and it's something we can follow week to week and see what happens based on weekly performance. It will change a little bit, I think. I think there are a couple of hockey East games this weekend. Merrimack obviously doesn't have any, so. Uh, Merrimack's projection, though, could change going in the next week, and here's why. Because there's games this weekend. So everybody's cratch rating this weekend is going to change based on wins or losses. If Merrimack, if, if Merrimack pulls a UMass Lowell, UMass Lowell lost to Anchorage twice last week. Anchorage, one of the, one of the worst teams in the country. If Merrimack has a, an unexpected result like that this weekend, their cratch rating will drop. Which means, because the Cratch rating is based on data points up into that point, their expected wins the rest of the year would likely drop as well. So it's something that will change every night. Every night there's games that these projections could change. I'm not going to publish them every day because that would be ridiculous. Um, I will do it once a week. You know, I'm going to do it once a week. But again, it will go up and down, I think, based upon what happens the rest of the way. Um, it's just going to be interesting to follow because right now, I mean, you can look at it and say, okay, Merrimack has some wiggle room right now. I think that's what this tells us. And we kind of knew that already because of the games in hand against UConn. You know, they have a, a four-point lead on UMass, on BU right now. Uh, they have a, a, they're tied with UConn with games in hand. I think they've got, I don't know if the standings in front of me, but I think they have games in hand on BU as well. Uh, so you, you knew, you knew you, you could look at it and go, geez, you know, it looks like they're probably in pretty good shape because they have games and hands on teams and they're tied for first place in the conference. But, you know, relatively speaking, uh, how good of a shape are they in? <laughs> you know, you don't really know. And and this is what this this exercise can kind of tell us. I think right now they have about a seven-point cushion. Not only are they projected to finish a top hockey East, not only do they have the easiest road to finish a top hockey East because of the games in hand and, the, and their strength of schedule, but they have about a seven-point cushion. Um, and again, like that could change week to week based on the results that we'll get input this weekend. So it'll be very, very, very interesting to follow between now and the rest of the year. And I'll, and I'll publish it every week. But for now, uh, that's what those numbers are. Again, if you're a subscriber um, to the Mac Report, you are going to get those numbers in your email. Uh, if not Thursday night, at some point on Friday, when I when I publish a story to go along with it, it's a lot easier, obviously, to read the chart than it is to listen to me ramble about them here on a podcast. Uh, so you'll have the numbers right in front of you. We'll tell you the, the team's scratch rating, their current points, their projected remaining wins, and then their projected final final point total. Uh, I also did the same thing for the Big Ten earlier today. I've only done those two leagues so far. i got to do some more, but because uh, it takes a while to put the spreadsheet together. You do have to take some, some legwork to get all that stuff set up. Um, but Hockey East was done earlier today. Merrimack, not only in first place, they have the best cratch rating in Hockey East. Connecticut has the second best cratch rating currently in the league. Boston University is second. Um, UConn actually on pace to have less wins the rest of the way than BU. BU projected for 8.1 wins the rest of the way. UConn projected for 7.4 wins the rest of the way. But UConn in second place because, as of right now, they have a four-point lead in the standings on BU. 
So that's why. Um, and the same thing can go up and down. Well, one of the biggest drops right now, if you really look at the standings, is Northeastern. Because Northeastern's played a lot of league games, and their, their crash rating is starting to drop. They currently have 22 points, which is fifth in the conference right now. They're projected to finish in eighth in large part due to their poor performance, which has given them a crash rating of 65.9, as well as, you know, opponents around them having games in hand. That's why BC, Lowell, and and UMass all projected right now to jump Northeastern. We only project, this this model projects Northeastern to finish with 32 points. They have 22 right now. It only projects Northeastern for 3.34 wins the rest of the Hockey East schedule. That's another thing to note. This has nothing to do with non-conference games. Non-conference games don't affect the hockey standings. This is only a standings projection for the league standings. The league standings. So non-conference games don't apply. Uh, and again, as much as someone could look at Merrimack and say, you know, geez, they're 10-2 and two in the conference, I think it is, or whatever it is, or 9-1 or 9-2, I, I forget. But whatever they are, do you really expect Merrimack to, be, to play at that pace all year? Some would say yes. Some would say no. I look at Northeastern and go, man, do I, I, do I really think they're going to be that bad the rest of the year? Do I really think they're only going to win three more Hockey East games the rest of the way? Or a little over three, which means maybe they win three games and they pick up a tie. I mean, they're right about three and a half. So, you know, that projects them for like a, a three wins and a tie the rest of the way. Meaning, you know, they get the game in overtime. Do I really think that's all they're going to do? No. I think they're more talented than that. My, my brain says that they're more talented than that. But here's the thing. The data says they're not. And, again, it will change. It will change. Northeastern could go and win four in a row in the next two weeks. Their crash rating is going to change. That number is going to go up. So it's something that you have to look at every week. You can't just look at it today and say, well, hey, you know what? Because there's so many games left. You'll, you'll start to get a little more of a defined picture and a much more clearer picture as we get into February. Um, but for now, it's going to still kind of change wildly over the next month because there's so many games still left on the schedule. But my brain says, you look at that Northeastern roster, my brain says they should be better than this. They should be better than this. That's, what's, that, that's what I love about doing this exercise, though, is because at the end of the day, all this looks at is numbers. And in the formula looks at it and says, I don't care, Mike, what you think. I don't care how, how good you think Devin Levi is, Mike. They are what their record says they are. That's it. That's it. The numbers don't lie. These, this formula will spit out a projection based on performance up to that point. So it can change if a team goes on a run, positively or negatively. Uh, and, and it can change you know, based on if opponents go on a run. I mean, someone's strength of schedule may go up or down based upon how their opponents the rest of the way start to do. Um, but it'll be a fun thing to look at the rest of the way. So we'll, we will keep an eye on that. Right now, though, I do want to get to our interview with Scott Bork. It's about 10 minutes. Uh, again, we talked about the Providence game last week. Just what happened there in that 6-1 loss uh, to Providence on Saturday night. Obviously, things went wrong. Their most lopsided loss of the year. I thought one of their one of their poorest games of the year as far as execution goes. Just a lot of mistakes that were uncharacteristic that we haven't seen this team make over the, the course of 17 games in the first half. Uh, and we talk a lot about Brown and Yale as well. I'll have more on Brown and Yale in my 10 Things column tomorrow, previewing this game for subscribers. And I will say this. This is another one. Just like a couple of weeks ago uh, when Merrimack was playing Holy Cross right before Thanksgiving, they can't afford to lose these games. If they want to really make a point 
nationally for the national tournament and to keep their their standing where it is in the pairwise, they cannot lose these games. And you know what? They shouldn't lose these games. They should not lose these games. I know Yale beat Army the other night. Great. Yale is one of the worst teams, arguably, in my opinion, the worst team in the country right now. And they've played well the last two nights. They work really, really hard. They play physically. They remind me a little bit of Maine. They have no finishing skill whatsoever. This is an offense that at one point I think had eight goals in 12 games. They were averaging until until Monday night. Until Monday night, they were averaging less than a goal a game in 13 games. This wasn't like a two-game sample size. They've had to shut out something like five times in 13 games. They averaged less than a goal a game. So if, if Merrimack is a top 10 team, right now they're sixth, but if we believe and people out there believe and Merrimack fans believe that they're a top 10 team, you can't lose to Yale. There should be a universe of differences between Merrimack and Yale right now. There should be. There should be. Uh, again, I, 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 don't think they're that, I, I don't think that they're a very good team and the numbers bear that out. You look at the pairwise, you look at the crash ratings, I mean, they're one of the worst teams in the country, if not the worst team in the country. Um, and again, that, that's not disparaging those players. I know they work really hard. I, I watched them play. I watched them play Providence. They remind me a lot of Maine. They work their tails off and they're physical and they're willing to get into dirty areas and they're willing to make it hard. They just haven't had a lot of finish. They haven't had a lot of finish uh, and they haven't been able to score goals. I mean, and ultimately that's what you're judged on. But I, I do like the way that they play. You know, if, if they had if they had a little more finish to their game, I think they'd be dangerous in the ECAC because they, they play a style that's hard to play against. And that's what makes games like this scary. You know, they play a style that's really, really hard to play against. You just look at their previous performance, and I, and I, don't, see, I don't see where their scoring is coming from. And again, like they were at one point a third of the way through the season, more than a third of the way through the season, with a historically bad offense. And, and, and I know bad offenses. As many, maybe some of you may not know because some <laughs> some people are newer. Uh, my first year covering Merrimack, right after I graduated and I stopped working for the program, my first year covering them, they scored thirty seven goals in thirty four games. I know all about offenses that don't score and covering teams that don't score. <laughs> um, it's and I know what that mentally can do to a team too. That's why I think against Yale, it's real important for Merrimack to get out in front. Pop in two goals, and I think they're going to roll. I think if they can get out to a 2 nothing lead, they roll. Uh, because I know I've covered teams that have had issues scoring goals, and I know mentally how that can wear on a team if you fall behind early. So really important for a, a, a fast start from Merrimack against Yale, I think, to, to just, if they get up early, I think that mentally, like I said, that could do a lot to that Yale team. I've seen it happen with Merrimack teams that I've covered. Um, and if you're Merrimack, too, you, you want to respond after a, a tough week last week, or at least a tough game against Providence last week. Uh, then against Brown, I mean, look, Brown has Brown ha- has had its ups and downs. We know what happened when Merrimack played Brown last year. That game got away from Brown pretty early on, uh, and it's really kind of what sparked Merrimack in the second half. But uh, Brown's a team that, you know, they scare you a little bit because they beat Providence, and we just saw what Providence did to, to Merrimack on Saturday. Uh, so there's a little bit of fight in that Brown team. You know, again, not a ton of skill. Not a ton of skill. They have some trouble scoring goals. I really like their goaltender. I think their goaltender's really, really good. And when that team plays hard in front of him and, and is good in their D zone, it can be hard to score goals against Brown because their goaltending is good, and if they really lock things down in the defensive zone, they can make it a long night 
Just ask Providence. They can make it a long night. But still, I look at this weekend. You have a team entering the weekend. And I think of the pairwise, Browns 45 and Yale 61 or 60, whatever it is. If Merrimack is an NCAA tournament team, and I think they are. I think they've proven in the first half that they are. If Merrimack is an NCAA tournament team, there's no excuse for anything less than a sweep this weekend. Uh, that's just, that comes with the territory of being a good team. To me, that comes with the territory of being a good team. If you are, if you are what you say you are, <laughs> right? Uh, if you are a team that can make noise and, and can make the NCAA tournament as an at-large bid, which again, I think this team can do, you got to sweep Brown and Yale. You just have to. You just have to. Uh, look at what happened to Lowell last week. If you don't know what I'm talking about, UMass Lowell played uh, Alaska Anchorage last week at the Songa Center. Two games. Anchorage, I think, was in, in the 50s in the pairwise entering that week, uh, entering that, that weekend series. I don't know if they were 55, 54, wherever they were. Anchorage swept UMass Lowell. UMass Lowell started, la- started last weekend ranked 13th in the pairwise. At one point on Saturday night, they were down to 31. They, were, they dropped 18 spots. They had some results the rest of the way. It crept them back up to 27, which is where they are heading into this weekend. But still, that is catastrophic for that team. There's no other way around it. That is catastrophic for that team. Unless they go on a run now, UMass Lowell may have to win Hockey East in order to make the NCAA tournament, and it will be because of those two losses to Alaska Anchorage. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. I mean, because right now, there's the potential that both the Atlantic Hockey winner and CCHA winner in their tournaments may be outside of the top 16, which may mean that only the top 14 teams in the pairwise get in at, get in at, at, as at-large bids. So UMass Lowell essentially now has to go from 27 to possibly 14, if not higher, to get into the NCAA tournament. Because I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that even in Hockey East, a team outside of the top 14 could win the tournament and take another spot away. I mean, look at the way that UMass is playing right now. They're outside the top 16. What about BC? What about Northeastern? What if Devin Levi gets hot? You're telling me that Devin Levi couldn't get hot and, and win Northeastern the Hockey East tournament as you know the 22 team in the pairwise? They could. It's going to take another spot away. So you may be, I mean, you realistically may be looking at having to be in the top 12 or 13 to get to really lock yourself in as an at-large bid. Merrimack is six right now. There's no wiggle room. There is no wiggle room. You cannot afford to lose to Brown and Yale. And if you're as good as I think they are, they shouldn't lose to Brown and Yale. There's no excuse to. There's no excuse to. So... Uh, that's it for, for my rambling for this week. I've gone on long enough. Let's get right to Merrimack head coach, Scott Borg. All right, Merrimack uh, hosting Yale and, and Brown this weekend at Lawler Rink. We're here with Scott Borg, the head coach of the Warriors. And coach, uh, I guess just how'd the week go? I mean, obviously coming off a, a game against Providence last week that we talked about after the game. But uh, as far as kind of rebounding, responding, coming back with a good week of practice, how has uh, the week gone so far? Uh, you know, it's gone well. I think anytime you you go through a game like that where you're really disappointed in your performance and uh, how you played the result of the game as well, uh, everybody you get everybody's attention and, you know, kind of recenters you and gets you get back on task, if you will, and I think we've had a really good week in that regard. Yeah, I know you you kind of mentioned it. I mean, you mentioned maybe there were some distractions going into the game on, on Saturday and things of that nature. I mean, is it good to have – I mean, if you're going to have a game like that where it kind of serves as a – 
maybe a little bit of a spark, a little bit of a wake-up call. Is it, I mean, is it beneficial to have it happen in a non-league game? I mean, I'm sure you prefer that more than a, a league game, necessarily. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, it, hey, we, you don't want to lose any games, and the good thing is that we put ourselves in a position that every game matters. Um, but at the same time, you know, that that's a non-league game. It's a really good opponent, someone we're going to play again. Um, you know, we just took our lumps and, and move on. And the um, challenge of getting the – really, this week is our first week probably in six weeks that we've had a normal Monday through Thursday routine uh, just because of where our schedule was in the last two weeks of our first half. You know, playing a lot of games, obviously, um, in the middle of the week and trying to travel on most of those games and, you know, just made for a very disjointed preparation and practice. And We got through it, but I don't think we got better through it. And now we have a good opportunity to do that. What What was it on, I mean, kind of in retrospect, if you had a time to look at the video and stuff like that, what was it about Saturday? Uh, I guess, where did things go off the rails from your point of view on Saturday? You know, I, I think that they, they played very hungry, you know, um, and really came after us. And we, had, we had, you know, as a team, just didn't made, we just made some bad decisions with the puck. We didn't manage the puck well, put them in situations, almost like giving them free, not free goals, but free ice or free field position, if you will, got them into a really good place, and then they just kind of rolled. And, you know, we got um, we did not get into a good place because of that didn't really put ourselves in a position to be successful. Um, and then they took care of the rest. Well, looking ahead of this weekend, like you said, you guys have put yourselves uh, in a position here where all these games are important. And they usually are, right? But in normal circumstances, if you're not in the pairwise position that you guys are in at the moment, uh, you know, you could kind of look at these two games this weekend as not exhibition games, but, you know, kind of, you know, a, a step in between an exhibition game and a regular season game, maybe give it guys opportunities to get some playing time that haven't in a while and things like that. But, you know, now being six in the pairwise going in, I mean, every game becomes an important game. Uh, we saw what happened with Lowell last week. You lose a game to a team that is, you know, much lower in the pairwise like they did to Anchorage. You, your, your standing in the pairwise can drop pretty significantly so uh was that talked about at all this week especially where i mean there's a, a pretty recent case of it happening in the league with a uh, a league opponent where uh you know the team drops to to a drops a couple of games to a team that's much lower than them in the pairwise and you know they drop i think 13 or 14 spots you know in a weekend um was that you know kind of used as a reminder this week that hey you know these games at the end of the day they're as important as league games because of the position you've been able to put yourselves in from that national perspective I think that, you know, that the weekend's results and the game against Providence kind of took care of any situation where I felt like I had to build the team back up or get the team to realize the importance of every game because that was such a disappointing game, disappointing um, performance, that I, I think that uh, we were ready to go this week in our practice prep right away. Um, and, I, and I don't think it was necessary to add that uh, pressure to it. Um, the other thing that we do have, as we know, is we have a you know we got a great league and we have a lot of opportunities to repair any damage we do to our pair high pair wise just within our league. So um, there's a lot to be determined yet. Um, certainly, you know it's funny I've never really paid attention to the pair wise um, in December and January. A lot of people around us are, but we understand that you know we haven't done anything, and you know certainly February and March are going to be where the seasons. Your results are matter the most.
as you kind of look ahead and prepare for this weekend? Two different opponents, and I know uh, you guys usually look at the at the Friday opponent first. So, wh- what have you seen on film from from both of these guys? I mean, I know both Brown and Yale have have taken some lumps here this year, but at the same time, seem to be playing uh, better recently. You know, uh, Yale. Uh, has has found their offense, it seems like, uh, against Army the other night. And then uh, Brown had a, a win over Providence, you know, just over a month ago. So uh, what what have you seen from, from both of those those opponents this weekend on film? Well, I think that, uh, you know, in Yale's case, we obviously just watched them on film and live. Uh, they gave Providence a heck of a game. It was one nothing until very, very late in that game. Uh, they played really hard. Uh, you know, very similar to the Dartmouth team we played. Um, you know, they, they are uh, skilled enough to be successful, but they're hardworking enough uh, to kind of earn that success. And they were really physical with Providence. They played really hard. Uh, that will be a, a big test physically because we can't get frustrated with that because they're going to come into the hour. It's a perfect rink for them. And they're going to play real hard and real physical. And we'll have to manage our way through that game. Um, and then again with Brown. Brown's similar to that. They'll, they'll play very physical. I think Brown is a a team that obviously obviously beat uh, Providence already uh, has some other wins on their on their docket that have been very good ones, um, you know. And I think they're a team that's that both of those teams are trying to grow their season from Christmas forward because of the first half weren't as successful as they wanted to be. Uh, that alone makes them a dangerous opponent. So uh, I have a lot of respect for both staffs and both teams, and I know it's going to be a grind both games, but uh, hopefully games we can be successful in. And in uh, either way, games that will help us move forward with the rest of our schedule. Yeah, I, I watched the Yale game uh, against Providence uh, on on video, and they reminded me. I don't know if you saw any similarities here, but they reminded me a lot of of Maine when Maine came in and played you guys in the middle of November. You know, they they just they they, they couldn't really finish in that game, but they had chances and they just worked so hard. Like they, and that was one of the takeaways I had from that Maine weekend too. Was like, yeah, they, they had some trouble finishing, but man, do they work hard. Do you see similarities in the way that those two teams are, are playing? Very similar. I think that uh, the, the one uh, maybe difference is simply I, I think that uh, you know Maine is is not as big as Yale. Yale's got a big, strong, physical team. Uh, you know, Maine just brought it obviously the whole game, the whole series, and and I'm sure that we face that again uh, moving forward up there, but. Uh, both these teams bring that kind of physicality. I think in Yale's case, they, they've really leaned into that as their identity. It's just observation. No one said that to me, but observing it feels that way. Um, and I think it's, it will be it will be a major challenge to try to push it forward uh, and get through that. Because uh, you know, with that team, playing a team like that, Darvin was very similar. Uh, it cre- can create a lot of frustration at times in, in your game because. You know, you're getting run at, and they're not really caring about the puck as much as they are about playing the body. Um, and so you just gotta you gotta manage your your emotions in those kind of games. And that was something we didn't do well against Providence, uh, and really not that great against Dartmouth either. Uh, that we're hoping to improve this weekend. How, how are you guys looking at it from a health standpoint? I know, obviously, you know, we talked about Mark Hillier last week. Uh, I think it was a blocked shot. I missed the rest of that first game. Didn't play in the second game. How's he looking? And just generally speaking, how are you guys looking at health wise? Uh, you know, we're pretty good. You know, I think Mark's going to be fine. Uh, he's been able to practice uh, after my, he missed Monday, but has practiced ever since. Uh, and then, you know, one of the exciting things for us, and I don't know if it means anything for this particular weekend, but 
coming forward quicker than we thought, uh, Liam Dennison uh, has skated this week, um, you know, basically in full combat, if you will. And so uh, he's he's had an unbelievable rehab. Credit to him and to, and to Derek, our trainer. Uh, he's got himself in a really good space. Don't know if he's eligible today, you know, this, for this weekend uh, at this point. But he will be uh, sooner than we thought, and that's really exciting for him, but also for our for our team. Yeah, I was going to say that might be a, a nice injection too. I mean, not only uh, an experienced guy on the back end, but just uh, situations like that where a guy works so hard and gets himself back, you kind of see that that spark a group a lot of times too. Yeah, it, it, no doubt our team has watched his rehab, you know, and, and you see guys do that, and you know it's exciting, and he brings a. A September energy to a team that's in the middle of the grind, and that's that's helpful. So I, I think it's and he's a senior. Uh, he's been a leader since the day he got here. Uh, so it's it's really exciting. I, I'm I'm excited for him because he's going to play this year, which I didn't think he was going to be able to do uh, not too long ago. Um, and secondarily, um, he's in a place now where he can really I think impact our defense in a very positive way. Yeah, I mean, not that you guys need it because the defense has played so well, but just another option there and an experienced option. I mean, because that was one of the things we talked about in the preseason too was just, uh, you know, with with his loss, you you thought you had some some talent back there and and it's shown that you have, certainly, uh, on the D side. But um, just losing a guy with experience back there was, you know, it was one of those things. How was this team going to respond to that? A lot of sophomores were going to have to play a big role on that on that back end. And now here's a, a like you said, a, a leader, a senior, a guy that has a lot of experience, who's played a lot of games, who can come in and, and inject some life. Whether it's uh, you know giving a guy, it's, it's, it's going to give you more options here. I mean, the options on the D side already seem to be very very good, and now you're going to have you know another really good option there. Yeah, and I and coming at the right time too. You know, Liam's played a lot of hockey for us over the years, and including having a really good junior season, second half last year. Um, we went into the year getting ready to rely on him, and obviously losing him was tough at the time. Uh, it has given other guys a chance to you know move their game forward who may not have played as much. Um, but frankly, I, I thought we could we could play better than we did defensively this past weekend. Um, and, you know, him being ready now is, is a really good thing because I just, you know, I think we were um, lackadaisical on the back end, um, and we didn't help much from the forward end either Saturday, but, you know, our, our back, back end has played much better this year than we did on Friday and Saturday. Um, having another option just will up the level of urgency for that group, and, and that will be positive, I believe. Alumni game is coming up this weekend too, and I know they're going to be at a reception for alums after that game. Uh, heading into the, I think it's the Brown game on Saturday. So, uh, how excited are you to see some of the alums back on campus? I know I was talking to to Chris Ross earlier in the week. He said it's one of the one of the bigger groups you guys have had for an alumni game uh, over the last couple of years. So, uh, it seems like it, it should be a good weekend, an exciting weekend, and a weekend to get a lot of former players back on campus as well. Yeah, that will be really exciting. Um, you know, last year we had a, a really good group here. And for me, it was an opportunity to meet some people I had not met before um, and also bring some people back who hadn't been back in a long, long time. And so I think we have a similar situation this weekend where we'll have a, you know, the alumni game itself will be pretty good. And, and then there's a, a lot of alums coming back who will not, uh, um, you know, who will not uh, play in the game, but will come to for the reception and such. So we'll have a number of people like in that situation. Uh, and then at the same time, I'm not sure you're aware of this right now, we have that uh, prep tournament back in our rank this weekend, uh, the True Cup, 
you know, with some very good teams, and that's going to bring some good hockey to to Lawler and to Golan Arena. Um, so it's it should be a nice hockey weekend here. Yeah, I did. Sure, I did see that. Yeah, and obviously that's one of the better. I remember watching a couple of those games a few years ago. It's one of the better tournaments around. A lot of prep schools, not only locally, but a few from Canada that are coming down. That's uh seems like it's one of the one of the more uh, should be a good weekend for with a lot of a lot of people in <laughs> a lot of people in the rink looking at its players uh, for the future as well because there's a, quite a few future D1 players that are playing in that tournament this weekend. Oh, for sure. You know, it's funny. I don't pay any attention to you know the youth hockey rankings or those things, but. For some reason on Twitter, I saw it today that um, you know there was a thing. I looked at it and I was like, "Oh wow, the top three teams in the country are going to be playing here today, uh, this weekend." So um, that's exciting, and I think it's it's really good for the school to get those people on campus. Uh, unfortunately, the campus is quiet, but you know that is what it is. And um, but they get a chance to see our campus, see our facilities, and hopefully, you know, fall in love with the place and make Merrimack an option someday. It's going to say short shortest recruiting trip of the year. For you guys, a couple of steps outside the office, and they exactly. are. <laughs> so, exactly. it's just like you wrote it up. <laughs> All right, Coach. Well, thanks for the time, and uh, good luck this weekend. We'll talk next week. Thanks, Mike. Really appreciate it.